Hi, and welcome to Through the Undertow. I'm your host, Nicole Lowell. This week's episode is her side of the story. So come join us as we wade through the undertow. Thank you so much for joining us today on our premiere episode of Through the Undertow. For those of you who don't know, Through the Undertow is a podcast that hopes to provide a place of support, education, and information for those who seek to assist and advocate for victims of child sexual trauma. In the coming weeks, you'll hear about different healing and diagnostic tools that can be used for survivors that have experienced trauma. There will also be episodes dedicated to helping navigate the legal system. What happens once you've discovered your child is a victim? Other episodes will be more focused on how parents can heal along with their children when faced with this unimaginable discovery. While this particular podcast is definitely geared towards parents and those directly involved with children who were victims, I believe that many of the topics will be helpful to a wide range of audience, and I hope you'll join us. Because of the nature of the show, we will provide trigger warnings and content warnings on each episode page on our website. That can be found at www.throughtheundertow.com. That's www.throughtheundertow.com. See the latest episodes on our homepage, or as time goes on, click on the episode link to take you to a more comprehensive list. As I said previously, I'm your host, Nicole Lowell. Today's episode is titled Her Side of the Story, which is actually my side of the story because I'm not just your host, I'm the creator of this podcast, and I'm a mother who discovered that her children were severely sexually abused by their father. So I think to start off, I'll introduce you to my family. I'm a single mom to three amazing children, all the same dad, uh, my ex-husband, the oldest of whom I won't actually refer to much here. She's out on her own, married, so I'm not as much a part of her healing journey as my two younger children. She also is at a different place in her journey. She has a lot of memory gaps, but no active memories of abuse. She didn't come to live with us full-time until she was nine, so I don't know if that impacted anything versus her siblings. Regardless, she and I have spoken about things, and her story is her story to tell when and if she becomes ready. So my other two children are... 15 and 23, almost 24. And their story actually began from the moment they were born, basically. But my story begins around seven years ago. A little over a year before that, I had moved with my son and my daughter to Louisiana from Arizona. About nine months after that move, my husband joined us. He had um, stayed behind in Arizona for a while with a single mom and three kids to work at his job because he was hoping to transfer with the company that he was working for at some point in the near future. I mentioned who he stayed with because I believe that was important. He said that was the only person that would let him stay with them. But now I think there was more to that story. So my oldest daughter was in college in Arizona by this time. So she wasn't around. And on this particular day, my youngest daughter was at school and I was at lunch with my husband and my son. And it was basically, we were just finishing up and I got a phone call. It was from a sheriff who wanted me to meet him at my apartment. And I was concerned, but I assumed that it was related to my son not going to school at that point. So my son is transgender. And 
He was getting severely bullied at school. And the principal of the school that he went to was completely unsupportive of him and actually pretty much told him that if anybody was nasty to him, he wasn't going to defend my son because that was my son's choice. So my son was having a lot of panic attacks and it had gotten so bad that he basically wasn't going to school at that point. My husband was supposed to get him set up in an online program and he hadn't done that yet. So when the sheriff called, I went back to my apartment with my son and my husband, assuming that that was the conversation that we were going to talk about. It was definitely not that. When we arrived, there were so many police cars. And pretty much right away, they took my husband and my son upstairs to the apartment and I stayed downstairs. The person who was like leading the investigation informed me at that point why they were there. They were looking into a computer and essentially the contents of that computer. They had done a sting operation and were serving a warrant for child pornography for essentially possession and distribution of child pornography. So they asked me, you know, whose computer is whatever. And I said, that's my husband's. So obviously the computer was my husband's. And I remember the officer was really like kind and matter of fact. And I feel like he was trying to get me to understand what was happening to get me to understand, Hey, um, don't buy into any excuses that your husband gives because there's none to be given. He was very clear. We found pictures in multiple places on the computer. We found specific things in the search history. Um, he was, very, he was, you know, pretty detailed in explaining to me what happened and why my husband was going to be arrested. Um, unfortunately, the honest truth is that at that moment in time, I was not ready to hear that. I went upstairs and they arrested him, my husband. He had just a few moments to talk to me. And I don't even remember. He was very desperate. He was talking about, I think he said something like it was a mistake, but it wasn't even clear, like, to me in that moment, what was the mistake that the police were arresting him or what he did or whatever. So they arrested him. They took him away. It was really rough. I had to go and call my family and let them know. I called my daughter. She did come out at that point with her fiance. And just um, when I had an opportunity to speak to my husband, he gave me excuses and lies, and I believed them. He made up some really stupid reasons for why he had the pictures on his computer. He didn't know what he was downloading. He thought the girls were older, whatever. I didn't get a chance to see the pictures, not that I would want to, but the point is that when he's telling me that he thought the girls were older... I'm left with an assumption that the girls were, you know, 16, 17 and looked 18 to 20 type thing. You know, he also claimed he didn't know what he was downloading. 
And the problem or interesting thing about that is he'd done some monumentally stupid things over the course of our marriage at that point. And so I believed him. I mean, really monumentally stupid things. So at that point, I believed him. I paid for his bail and his attorney and our lives were kind of turned upside down. So we lived in an apartment when he was arrested and we couldn't, well, we could live in the apartment, but he couldn't because he was arrested at the apartment. So the apartment knew about everything. And so he wasn't allowed to come back to the apartment. So we had to basically get a hotel room and look for a new place to live. And that was really hard on two children who were 16 and 8 at the time, 15 and 8 at the time. So, yeah. I also feel like, so we're staying in a hotel. That's horrible. He stayed with us until the sentencing. So from the time that he got arrested until the time that he actually went to jail was surprisingly somewhere around 10 months. And part of that was he had some back problems. And so he had back surgery and I took care of him during that time. So he was in the hotel room. Actually, we were in a hotel room. He had had back surgery. I was taking care of him. We had just gotten some money, which I'll discuss in a little bit, but I'd used that money to pay for his mail and his attorney and the hotel room. And then by the time we got a new place, the deposit and everything on the new place. So he stayed with us until the sentencing. And I actually feel like that we as his family helped him get a lighter sentence. We didn't actually say anything at court. But interesting thing is, I feel like that we as his family helped him get a lighter sentence. Um, the sentence for the crime that he was arrested for, where he was arrested, it was five to 20 years. Obviously, at that time, we were all standing by him. And I feel like the attorney was able to say and utilize that as a point in favor for my husband. You know, he has a family. This was obviously either a mistake or uh, he's not very dangerous you know, that kind of thing. And he got, in the end, he got five years. That's it. I think it was really interesting. There wasn't even a trial. He ended up taking a plea deal and it was just a weird situation at court. Everything was discussed behind closed doors. The attorneys and the judge always spoke in the judge's chambers. And then once I got the attorney for my husband, I met with the attorney initially, obviously. But then after that, he started meeting with my husband and my husband just didn't have me go into the meetings. And that was the beginning of the red flags for me. I remember asking him one time of like, why, why do you keep meeting him by yourself? Like, why don't you let me come in? And he was like, oh, I didn't know you wanted to. Okay. So that was something that would keep me up at night and began to make me question my husband more. So as I said, he only got five years. And I just know that if I had any idea what was going on at that point, I could have spoken up. I could have said something. He would have gotten 20 years, but that's not what happened. And just, I didn't know. 
It was really difficult when he went to prison. Um, I couldn't reach out to his family. His parents had both passed away shortly before he was arrested. And that's where we had gotten that money from. So it was inheritance from his parents. Um, There were issues with the will and the inheritance that left some bad blood between his siblings and us. And honestly, there were just some issues with his siblings and him even prior to that. So I didn't think I could even call them. And honestly, I haven't spoken to them since he was arrested. They reached out to my son. I don't know if they reached out to my older daughter, but they definitely reached out to my son. And I know that he opted to just not have a relationship with them, especially with one particular sibling. When my husband got out of jail, my um, son informed me that she was going to continue to have a relationship with her brother. And that wasn't acceptable to my son. He very much felt like that wasn't like she wasn't taking she wasn't really understanding what had happened because if she understood you know what their dad had actually done to them there's no way she would have wanted to continue to have a relationship with her brother so my son at that time was like "Mm, no we don't need to talk anymore thank you so yeah so I couldn't really talk to them my own personal family um I've had a really complicated relationship with them most of my life and that probably covers like 75 percent of the families today but you know after my husband was arrested I remember I was talking to really the only aunt that I spoke to on my dad's side of the family by that time my dad had passed away so in turn to my family just to kind of give a little bit of very tiny bit of background I don't really speak to anybody on my father's side of the family my mom and my dad separated when I was in like second grade, uh, my mom moved with us, with my, me and my brother when I was in like fourth grade. And I just never, um, I had one aunt on my dad's side that I kept in touch with and nobody else. And I remember when I called her, I called her when my husband was arrested and I told her what happened and also told her, you know, he didn't know. And her response was, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And while certainly now I believe that was true, absolutely believe that's true. Um, At the time, again, that just, I don't think that was the right thing to say. I was certainly not ready to hear it and certainly not that bluntly, you know, Um, But equally important, my mom's side of the family kind of treated me as as if whatever he had done was like this disease and it was contagious and I'd caught it. I remember just speaking to um, the aunt on my dad's side of the family a few months like after his arrest, but before his sentencing. And um, she had brought up that she was in town with my mom's side of the family for the wedding. And I was like, okay, uh, what wedding? And it turned out that my cousin, by a different aunt, was getting married. And not only had they not invited me, they didn't even tell me what was happening. And there wasn't anything like, hey, we just wanted you to know that this is happening. He's getting married. And we just don't think it's a good idea for you to come or anything like that. No, there was 
just nothing said, nothing said to me at all by anybody in my family. Just made me feel really, really alone. Honestly, the aunt, my mom's sister, that is my cousin's mom, and my cousin, like none of them, actually, I haven't even spoken to them. I haven't spoken to them at all. Nobody reached out to me to say anything. Hey, sorry about this. Yeah, nothing. So, you know, it just really made me feel really alone. All of a sudden, I was a single mom with no family to speak of and really no one close by to help with my kids. I mean, if you think about it, I literally had moved to that area of town probably six, eight months before my husband was arrested. So I didn't really know anybody. And then, you know, once he went to jail, how do you deal with that? You, Yeah. So, uh, at first I thought it would be okay because my son was old enough to take care of my daughter. And, um, so I thought I'd be able to work. They'd both go to school. He'd come home and take care of my daughter until I got home from work and everything would be fine. But he was anxious all the time of everything and everyone. And he actually never went back to school because of that anxiety. So we never got him back in to school at all. He ended up just getting his GED. You know, my daughter would act out when I would have him babysit her while I worked. Um, but also then if I had tried to have someone come in to watch her, it was just as bad, if not worse, between both of them. And it really makes complete sense now where the responses were coming from. I just didn't know what was going on at the time. I even did an evaluation of my kids shortly after my husband was arrested. Um, I thought that my son had Asperger's and the evaluation showed that they had behaviors that could be consistent on the autism spectrum, but there wasn't anything that would be able to categorize them with any specific diagnosis. So I kind of thought that that's what was going on with both of my kids. Since then, I've learned that trauma can definitely mimic things like autism disorders, ADHD, oppositional defiance disorder, and even bipolar disorder. And so I was devastated when my husband first went to jail. But the longer he, that he was gone, I feel like I had more of an opportunity to see things more clearly. You know, I began to have doubts about what he was telling me. His story seemed to change and it never seemed to be complete. My marriage wasn't really the best before he went to prison. So I was able also to just kind of evaluate who I was. And, and, you know, I figured out that I could make it on my own. I didn't have to have my husband with me. And also realized that I didn't really know who my husband was. I was really, you know, done trying to figure it out. And equally important, I didn't want to be forced to follow the rules that he would have to follow once he got out of prison, because he did have to register as a sex offender. So um, I was also able to notice his emotional manipulation more when he wasn't around. He played on several insecurities that I had throughout our marriage. And about a year into this sentence, I made the choice to divorce him. We had stopped visiting him in prison by this time. And even that initially started out because he actually was far away from where we lived. So it was like a really long drive, even one way. So slowly over time, though, that changed from 
it being such a long distance to just none of us wanted to visit him. And so we stopped. So I told him, you know, I let him know that I was going to be divorcing him. And so even then, he was really trying to be emotionally manipulative. You know, Nicole, I didn't know that you hated me so much. Like, me telling you that I want to divorce you doesn't imply that I hate you. Me not wanting to visit you in prison doesn't imply that I hate you. I just don't want to be around you. You can not want to be around people and not hate them. So yeah, even then it was going on, but I feel like because I wasn't in the middle of it, I was able to understand it better and not buy into what he was trying to get me to believe. Well, I will say that my family was not involved at the beginning. We tried reconnecting at one point with my mom and a couple of different aunts. There's so many aunts in my family. So yeah. Um, So just two different aunts, completely different from whom I've already discussed. And my mom, and we tried reconnecting at one point, and it just went horrifying, horrifyingly bad. Um, I was working on a project, I was going to have to do some overnights, my son had moved out. And so I, at that point needed help with my daughter to, you know, have her stay with someone. She was in in an online school program. So my daughter went to visit them while I was on this project. And, you know, she had some behavioral issues at that time. She was not very honest about doing the schoolwork that um, she was assigned, which was part of the reason why I really wanted someone to spend some time with her. And while she was there, they just, my mom had an incredibly difficult time with her you know, without rehashing years of crap, quite frankly, my family just had difficulty with her. It didn't go the way that I was hoping it would go. They didn't do what I was hoping they would do. And she was going through issues and she had certain behaviors. And so at one point, while my daughter was there, she disclosed to me that someone close to the family molested her. I took it to my family and they immediately called her a liar and then talked to me about all of these adults were going to sit down with her and with the person that she accused to have a discussion. So all these people who didn't think she was telling the truth to begin with were going to sit down with her and the person that she said did this to her to have a discussion. That was beyond ridiculous, still makes me livid. And I contacted a friend that day, a very good friend of mine who still lives in the area. And thankfully, thank God for her, she went and got my daughter and took care of my daughter for a few days until I could get my daughter on a plane back to me. Um, Honestly, the end result of that is I have no relationship whatsoever with my family. I speak with my older brother and one aunt. I have nothing to say to anybody else. And I'm at peace with that. That's nothing that I would want to or choose to change. Nope. There comes a point where there's nothing that you can say to me. It'll make up for mistakes that you made. At least not in the sense of, I want to have a relationship with you again. In the sense of, you want to apologize because you recognize that you did something wrong. Sure. But in a sense of hey, 
I miss you in my life and I want to have you there. No, we're past that point. That's just not going to happen again. So, you know, but that's okay. I speak with my brother every once in a while. Um, I speak with his daughter. Thankfully, we're able to still have a relationship and I work really hard on uh, to the best of my ability to keep that relationship strong and hopefully that will continue. But that's pretty much it. So my son had been gone for about seven months. And this was like after the situation with my family, with my daughter, and I got a call from him. And at this time, I didn't still didn't know anything that had happened between their dad and my kids. All their memories were repressed. So yeah, I just didn't know. So I got a call from him. And he was having some flashbacks or, I don't know, weird fever dreams. He just didn't really know what to call them. But he said that bad things were being done to him. And he didn't know who was doing them. But basically, based on where the memories or dreams or whatever were taking place, um, he thought there just wasn't anyone else it could be besides his dad. So I was just devastated at that point. I don't know, though. I feel like there was a part of me that was just not completely surprised by then. That was sort of like the final piece. Uh, Things were like, I don't know, was like other things had been going on and whatever. And then, you know, you have these pieces of this puzzle that you have laying around. And it's sort of like somebody took a kid puzzle, you know, so they're the giant pieces that you can see pretty easily. And they just threw it on the ground and all the pieces are facing up and you and they held just one back, one back. And you're looking at all these pieces and coming up with different, a different picture of what the puzzle is going to be based on the individual pieces. And then my son called me, you know, and that was essentially the final piece and it made everything else make sense. So, you know, behavioral issues that he'd had growing up, his tremendous anxiety. There had been some behaviors with both of my kids actually consistent with um, dissociative identity disorder, which just hadn't made sense up until the disclosure. Like we had had some things going on in their life, in their lives, just stressful situations. But I just wasn't sure that it was that level of, you know, a high enough level of trauma. When there was one point where I had both of my kids independently of each other, look me in the face and say, you know, I'm not so and so and each one, you know, their name, whatever, you know, I'm not your son, you know, I'm not your daughter. And that's pretty intense. You, especially when in that moment, you believe them. So yeah, that was a little bit of an experience. And shortly after my son talked about his experience, so there were, it was levels basically. So the first level was mom, I'm having these flashbacks, situations, whatever going on. I don't know who it is, but I think it would have to be dad to then oh, yes, it was dad, to then, oh, by the way, I'm having these memories that involve sister. Um, So she had some stuff happen to her, too. To then, even further, 
By the way, it wasn't just dad. He brought other people into the mix. Yeah. So to then, these were things that some of the things that were done, um, not more along the lines of like there were cat and mouse games played with my children. Yeah. Stuff like that. So throughout the time, all my son is kind of informing me of more of his memories coming forward. We ended up actually moving back to Arizona. My daughter and I did. Um, we stayed with my oldest daughter and her wife. And that was really difficult at first. Um, my youngest daughter just had behavioral issues. And, you know, obviously at first we didn't know why she was acting out. We didn't know why my son was acting out. But then we also had her in therapy. But the reality is, you know, some kids can't do talk therapy. That's not going to help them through whatever they've been through. And that's kind of what it was. And so it obviously wasn't the right therapy for her. Um, and definitely, definitely, definitely. That makes a difference. So if you're out there listening and your kid is in therapy and it's not working, don't assume necessarily that therapy in and of itself won't work because there's so many different types of therapy and some of them don't work. It's no different than like, you know, medication. Some medications work and some don't. Even in the same class, you might have to try multiple blood pressure medications before you find the one that works right. You might have to try multiple antidepressants before you find the one that works right. You might have to try multiple types of therapy before you find the one that works right for what you and your children have been through. So by this time, I knew that my daughter had gone through some things because my son was able to tell me, but she didn't remember anything. She definitely was acting out like Just because she didn't remember anything doesn't mean we weren't having difficulties with her. So about a year after my son disclosed his memories, my daughter and I had moved into our own place and my son had moved back in with us. I was working on another project out of town and my daughter disclosed uh, to my son, actually, that she had a memory of her father. At that point, I just told them, you know, you can't talk about this. We have to like, she had an appointment for therapy and I told her she just needed to make sure that a therapist knew what she remembered. So she told her therapist, her therapist reported it. And I was still on this project hundreds of miles away, but the police and um, DCS, which is CPS, uh, showed up at my house to speak with my son and my daughter. And then um, they needed to go to a forensic interview. So I flew home to make sure that they went to that. So we went to a local victim advocacy center and they had a forensic interview and I wasn't allowed to be there for that. And, you know, so obviously I'm not entirely certain of what they said, but the detective did come back and tell me that he and the forensic specialist both felt that my children were telling the truth and that they were being honest in their disclosures. However... At this time, it was kind of all that they had to go on. So the DA's office essentially opted not to press any charges against him, file any charges against him, whatever, for what he did to my children. I'm just, (laughs) that's really hard to understand. I'm really not, the legal system in this particular instance is elusive to me. Like when we were trying to get, visitation and then custody of my oldest daughter 
his ex-wife revealed that he had done some inappropriate things with her niece. And um, apparently there was some form of an investigation and they just said essentially that it was fine. Which I got to be honest with you, at no point did anybody come and say anything to me, ask me about anything. At no point did am I aware of them coming and speaking to my husband but maybe they did, and he just didn't share that with me. And that is certainly very possible. Um, but because of all that, at the time, I just thought it was, you know, this crazy ex-lady trying to start trouble to make sure that we didn't get custody of the kid. And we got custody of the kid. Um, but, a, you know, you kind of start putting pieces together. And, um, you know, so you had that accusation against him. He also had the conviction for possession and distribution of the pornography. My kids made these accusations and taking it back to the thing that I mentioned earlier, which was that, you know, he stayed with this single mom in Arizona before he came to be with us in Louisiana, single mom who had two young daughters. And I actually remember him telling me a story once about how one of the kids spent the night with him. Um, and he talked about how it was because they were scared. I think there was a storm or something, which is freaky because quite frankly, we live, if anybody knows anything about Arizona, not to say that that never happens, but it's very rare. Anyways, but yeah, I just thought it was really weird that this little girl would go and stay in the room with my husband. But at the time, you know, he just made it out like... Their dad had passed away and he was kind of, I don't know, like filling that role or something. So once again, he reasoned it away and I bought into the reason because at the time, to me, it was like, didn't know that there could have been an alternative. Now I believe that there was an alternative. But when I mentioned that to the police, they actually refused to even contact the family at all. Because they couldn't, quote unquote, hunt for victims. And I just don't understand that. Like, that's the craziest thing to me. So if he were still there and I made an anonymous phone call, you could go in and investigate. But because he's not there anymore, they have to be able to disclose it and come forward all on their own. And nobody, no officer can even ask. I don't, I just don't understand that. So that's where we're at now, at least in terms of him. He is, you know, charges haven't been filed. My understanding is that at least in the state of Arizona, there's no statute of limitations. So at any other time, charges can be filed. But I just, at least for now, he is not my priority. My children are. So what's been happening with them? Well, several months after they spoke with the police, my daughter, um, I had her go to an IOP which is an intensive outpatient therapy. During that time, she actually tried to commit suicide. And she's tried several times since then. So, um, and my son had tried several times previously as well. Um, my son was also into cutting for a while there. And even some burning incidents too. Self-harm, basically. So they both have. So obviously the IOP didn't really help her. So a few months after the IOP... We decided to send her to an RTC, which is a residential treatment center. That's where they go away and stay. 
that didn't really help either. I don't think they were prepared for my daughter's level of trauma. And there's supposed to be a facility that's supposed to help troubled children. But my daughter got angry and had an outburst at one point. And um, they decided that they just weren't going to continue to have her stay in there. So she was sent home. At that time, I was also working on a project. And I had to leave the project earlier. I had to leave the project early. And that's pretty much the last time that I worked. And that was December of 2019. So, you know, COVID hit this past year. And like so many of you, um, it definitely impacted my children. My daughter had just a full-blown meltdown. We had an argument at one point um, about whether or not she could go to the park to meet her friend. And um, she left the house to go meet her friend anyways. and uh, Or at least so... I thought she left the house to go meet her friend. She didn't come home that night. Like, by the time it got dark, I was like, okay, where's my kid? And when I tried to find out what happened to her, I called her friend that she was supposed to meet. And her friend was like, I never went to the park. Like, I never heard from her. So I assumed it was off. So I thought something happened to her. So the police were involved. We had mm, search dogs looking for her. So many people hunting for her and we actually went to um the spot where like i went to this particular spot where i thought she might be and she wasn't there and i think the police drove by too so um yeah so i thought at that point my daughter was kidnapped and something had taken happened you know somebody had taken her something bad had happened to her and it was devastating it was really 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 hard so the next morning i get up I decided to drive one more time, went back to the same area, and I found her. And it turned out that, you know, I think I genuinely think she was just trying to, in her mind, punish me because I was, we had a fight. So that was really hard. Um, she tried to run away another time. Police were involved several times. DCS and CPS slash, you know, whatever, uh, have been involved several times. I I feel like we're past that part, but, you know, it could come back probably. So, but, you know, her anxiety went up because she couldn't have the social interaction that she was craving. Um, her anxiety went up. My son's agoraphobia kicked in more. And since that time, my son has had so many alters come through with his DID. He's also had incidents of catatonic behavior as well. And that's where you, they basically get lost in their mind and have trouble finding their way out. And so it's kind of like being in a coma almost. Um, it can be very scary for the person trying to get them out and for the person who is stuck. So my daughter had incidents of alters coming through as well. And um, where essentially I was able to definitively say, oh yeah, she has DID too. So while, you know, kind of the recap a little bit, while they don't share with me very often at all, and that's okay, over the past several years, it's unfortunately come out that not only was their father physically, emotionally, and sexually abusing them, he was also trafficking them. This happened from the time they were born until he went to jail. My son was 16 at the time, and my daughter was nine. They both have DID. Um, they also have depression and anxiety and complex PTSD. They suffer from 
flashbacks and nightmares and their triggers pretty much cover every aspect of life because that is how frequently they were abused and traumatized. So to give you an example, this past Christmas, I took them to a light show. I thought I thought it would be amazing. Like, I love Christmas. Um, you know, it was like, hey, let's do this. It was a drive-through show. And it was a situation where essentially once you got in the line and actually started going through the show, there wasn't a way to make that faster to get off the ride, so to speak. You then just had to finish the show, finish going through the line. So we get into the show. We're like, I don't know, maybe two minutes into the show that I think was like a 20 minute long thing. And they're both having severe trauma responses to this. And we had to deal with the fact that for the next however long that we were in that line, we couldn't get away from the triggering object, basically. To give you another example, one day my daughter was complaining to her therapist about changing the cat litter and that she just couldn't handle the smell. It was really, really bad. And so I I was kind of upset with her because the night before we had just discussed chores and I was like, hey, let me know if there's anything that you don't like that you can't do, whatever. She didn't say anything then. And so I was like, you know, you didn't say this last night. I feel like you're just not wanting to do your chores. So after this conversation took place, I was very unwilling to give her any grace, any leeway with that. And, you know, I came up with ideas of like, hey... Take the lid off the litter box, wait five minutes, and then go back to do it or clean it more frequently or whatever, you know? But not, hey, I understand where this is coming from and whatever. So later that day, my son was talking to me about just that everything is hard and that washing dishes is hard and changing the cat litter is hard and taking the dishes out of the dishwasher is hard because they were hit essentially figuratively but probably literally too um pretty much doing everything during the day there was like no point where they were safe when i wasn't around and so now their lives are forever impacted currently my son is unable to really even leave our home for long periods of time He's unable to drive or to get a job. Both of my kids struggle with food because that was actually used as both a reward and a punishment by their father. Their executive function abilities are limited. They have trauma responses most days that impact their livelihood and their relationships. And, you know, it can be really, really hard to know that they're such amazing people who have been limited by something that wasn't just not their fault, but it was actually absolutely someone else's fault. And to, you know, just to be real, sometimes it can be hard to look through, you know, any form of social media and see all these successes that my friend's children have, where it's not just that my children don't have those successes, it's that they're 
not capable of having those successes right now. And they might never be capable of having those successes. And again, it is absolutely because of what other people did to them. But ultimately, we are left to pick up this mess. It's not a mess that we created, but we are absolutely the ones that are responsible to pick it up and fix it as best as we're able. I recently had my daughter go through an NMT assessment. That's a neurosequential model of therapeutics. It's an amazing thing, and we're going to actually do an episode on it. It's an assessment that takes and compares how well the person's brain is functioning compared to neurotypical children in their same age group. And um, it showed that my daughter is socially and emotionally functioning closer to like a toddler, a very young toddler. And that actually makes so much sense. She's fine until she's not. And once you get her past that emotional outburst, she's back to being completely fine. So it's, you know, very similar to a toddler having a tantrum when they're overwhelmed. They're, you know, if they get overwhelmed and their, you know, needs aren't being met or they don't know how to communicate their needs, they just full on have a an emotional outburst. And then when you pay attention to them, when you meet their needs, when you just help them get through that overwhelming point for them. It's like nothing ever happened for them. That's just kind of the way their brain works, you know? And that's pretty much how she is. So it's actually really helped me tremendously in trying to create, um, you know, realistic expectations for my daughter. And I think it's an amazing tool to have if you're struggling to kind of figure out where your child's at and what's going on with them. And well, we kind of already touched on it a little bit, um, just to go through like guilt. Actually, we didn't really touch on guilt. So let's talk about guilt for just a moment. Like, do I feel guilty that I didn't know what was going on with my kids? Nope, I don't. And so, you know, it was kind of hard when I first found everything out. You know, I went to do some research. And the first article that I came up with was I don't even remember who wrote it. I just remember that it was very much like the other person, the other spouse, typically that would be the wife, but you know, that they always know when stuff's going on. And it was a horrible thing to read after finding out that that had happened to my children and not knowing. So like, no, I didn't know. Thank you very much. Um, so, you know, how could I have missed such extensive abuse? Well, I'm sure that my story is very similar to many other stories in the sense of my ex took advantage of the times that I wasn't around or when I was like sleeping. So when my son was very first born, I worked graveyard shifts. But by the time my daughter was born, I had a job in the film and TV industry. I traveled frequently for work. And I was gone for weeks to months at a time. I also would often go to bed before he did or just sleep different hours than he did. And the reality is, I thought I had met a good guy that was willing to allow his wife to be the breadwinner and pursue her career, you know. And while he was willing to do that, I just 
didn't realize that there was a, you know, nefarious reason for why he was willing to do that. I didn't realize the price that he was exacting from my children to have that happen. Sometimes I think of where my life would be if that is actually who I married. And it would be very, very, very different than it is today. And that's that's sad. At a job where I was well-respected, at a large body of work, I was ready to take my job to the next level. I had literally just was finalizing my first short that I produced, wrote, and directed. And instead, I just had to step away from that world indefinitely to take care of my children full time. I don't really have too many people here um, besides my kids and my daughter's mental health team. My days are spent helping my son through his anxiety, helping my daughter through her anxiety, helping them through their flashbacks and, you know, helping my son come back from his catatonic behavior. It can be really difficult sometimes because I have to really watch my tone of voice when I'm talking to my son. So I can't really show any irritation with him because that leads him to trauma responses. So, you know, people are human and I get sometimes frustrated. It is like really closer to taking care of two special needs children. I pretty much have to do all the chores in the house, all the, you know, take care of all the bills, do the grocery shopping, make sure that my kids get to their appointments. And I can't completely be out of the house for too long without my son having anxiety. I am his safe person. And I actually help define his safe space in the sense of he knows he's safe at home, but he feels safer at home when mom is home. So, yeah, but I don't feel um, guilty. That is not my feeling to own. And I would encourage any parent out there. I'd like to do an episode on guilt and So I might repeat this whenever I do that episode. But what I would like you to do, if anybody out there is feeling guilty, I would like you to think about something. If you were at the airport and you sat down and somebody um, sat down next to you and had a carry-on, a piece of carry-on luggage that they put next to you, and then they got up and they left, would you take that piece of carry-on luggage with you? Well, no. Okay. So let's say that, I don't know, maybe somebody would be like, well, what's inside? All right, so let's look inside. It's filled with, you know, really heavy, ugly rocks that describe the things that whoever did this to your children, it describes the things that they did to your children. That would be what you would have to carry. Would you take that with you? And, you know, for some of us, that suitcase was a beautiful suitcase and we had no idea what was inside. But that doesn't mean that it's our suitcase to carry. It doesn't mean that it's our responsibility to shuffle that burden around wherever we go. It's not our burden. Now, don't misunderstand me. Do I feel bad for my children? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. I am devastated at what happened to them. I feel horrified that it happened to them. I'm sad. I'm, you know, such a list of emotions. 
but I refuse to feel guilty. That's not the same thing. I hold no responsibility in creating this situation. And I don't care. People can come at me and say, well, you were gone for months at a time. I was. And there are a lot of parents out there that have jobs that take them away from their families for a while. And with other partners that aren't horribly evil people, it works out okay. It just, that was not the person that I was with. Do I get angry at myself sometimes for not seeing him for who he was sooner? Sure, sometimes. But the reality is there, based on what I know, what happened to my kids, maybe it would make it less, but it wouldn't have made it non-existent. You know, it just wouldn't have. And ultimately, that's a what-if game. And why does anybody want to play that? Because you can play that all day and that's not going to change. You know, playing the what if game all day does not change the what is game. You are where you are. I'm not going to feel guilty about I didn't if I'd only left him earlier because I don't really I, I can say I think this would have happened, but I don't know that for certain. Then why play that game? So if it, you know, if if you out there need a more, I don't know, real thing, tangible thing to help you with your guilt, go buy a carry-on luggage and then go find some really ugly rock and put, take a marker and put on those rocks, everything, everything negative that you can think of that you feel guilty about in terms of whatever's going on with your kids and what that person did to your children, everything that they did to your kid because that's not something that you have to carry. It's not yours. Put it in there and then you go take that and you go put it wherever you want to put it. Not in your house, not near you, not with you. Go put it somewhere else because it's not yours to carry. You have so much. We all have so much more that we have to deal with because as I said before, it is certainly not the responsibility of us what happened to our children. But yeah, we hold a level of a responsibility and our children hold a, a huge level of responsibility and picking up the mess that was given to them. So what I would say is don't focus on that guilt and let's focus on the mess and how we're going to clean it up. So yeah. And you know, we have to advocate for our kids. I spend a lot of time advocating for my kids with their doctors and their therapists and my daughter's school and sometimes even, you know, neighbors or friends or family. Too many people think that they have a clue how to fix them or how my kids should be able to fix themselves. And I think there have also been so many times when people think I'm exaggerating the trauma that my children have been through. Well, yeah, no, no. I see their responses all the time. I have to handle the situations and then essentially the leftovers. Yeah, sometimes they think that my kids are manipulating me. And that's also not true. I can't say that they never manipulate me. I'm pretty aware even when they manipulate me. And I, um, sometimes I let it happen. And sometimes I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Taking care of my children is overwhelming and exhausting. But sometimes dealing with the people that interact with my children is just as bad, if not worse. It is. And you know, the situation hasn't just been traumatizing to my children. It's also been traumatizing to me as well. So if you feel like um, 
you're going through it. First of all, you probably are. And second of all, you're not alone. And I feel like it can be hard sometimes to say, this is what I'm going through because, you know, your kids have been through just as bad, if not worse. And you feel like by saying what I'm going through, I'm making it all about me. And that's not really true. But we have to figure out a way to do both, to take care of ourselves, to be able to speak what's happening with us, but also to be able to help our children and advocate for our children and speak on what's happening with our children. So yeah, you know, there are days when I don't want to get out of bed. There are days when I genuinely wish I wasn't here. There are a lot of days when I wonder how is this ever going to get better? And, you know, I'm running from one child who has a flashback to the other child who has a trauma response and goes into a full-blown emotional meltdown. And then there are days when there are good days and I'm in this holding pattern almost waiting for the other shoe to drop. And as I said, you know, it's exhausting and overwhelming. And recently I've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So, you know, there's that. And the fatigue is just incredible. There are definitely days when the struggle is real. And then there are days when I see, I don't know, some semblance of light. Um, Those are usually days when my kids are doing better. There are days when it's really hard to keep my emotions in check. And there are days when that's better. So, you know, every day is a little bit of a crapshoot. And maybe I can look at it as that's the adventure of it all. Hmm. I try not to lose it in front of my kids, but I also know there are so many times when I'm not handled things well at all in front of them at all. And I'm sure that that has traumatized them further. And even that, I'm not going to feel really guilty about because I'm human and I definitely know that I'm doing the best I can. I am. I've also worked tremendously hard to grow as a parent and a person. I try not to have my ego involved a lot. I try not to, I try to very much recognize that nothing that they're doing is a personal attack to me. It's not any, it has nothing to do with me, really. It's all about them and what they're going through. And I think sometimes it's hard for us as parents to separate what's happening with our children. And and when we have children that have been traumatized, we absolutely have to be able to separate that and separate their trauma responses from our ability to parent. First of all, their trauma responses are not a reflection of us as a parent. And then we have to be able to just recognize that it's not, it also is not a reflection of us as a person, but our response to their trauma responses is, and we have to figure out who we want to be. What does that mean to us? How do we want to interact with them when they're going through their most difficult moments? So yeah, I feel like there are times when I have my own ability to dissociate to just kind of shut my feelings off. And then there are definitely times when I'm super, super overwhelmed emotionally, and I don't know how to shut that off either. (laughs) You know, I try to use humor to get through a lot. Um, I enjoy making people laugh. I enjoy making my kids laugh. And so you definitely might get a little bit of that here and there in the episodes. I enjoy watching my children help each other. When they're having bad days, that's really beautiful. I like it when my son 
and my daughter help each other through their struggles. Yeah. I remember to be patient with my kids and myself uh, most of the time. And I try to just kind of take it moment by moment, you know? And I mean, obviously this is just a small glimpse of what my life has been. And I'm sure that if you are listening and experience something similar to my story, that you have a good idea of what I'm talking about. And if you're not experiencing exactly what I'm going through, then hopefully I've helped you to relate in some way to the many people that are struggling out there right now. And, you know, to all of you, I say, I want you to know that you're not alone and that I'm here to help you in whatever way I'm able. I started this podcast. I'm here because whenever I've chosen to share my story with various people, the responses that I've gotten have almost overwhelmingly had a common theme. Um, my friend, relative neighbor went through something similar, or I had it happen to me when I was younger. I just cannot believe how commonplace sexual abuse is in children. And I think literally we are talking epidemic proportions in the U.S., perhaps the world. And it shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. But the problem is that... We don't know how bad it is, not really, because we don't know about it unless you're living it because we just don't talk about it. It's been such a taboo thing for a really long time. Oh, you can't talk about that. That's uncomfortable. But the problem is we don't talk about how our children are suffering. And the problem is we don't talk about how it's impacting us as parents. And we actually also don't talk about how it's impacting society. And if you don't think it's impacting society... You should be listening to my show. Yeah, it's definitely impacting. We don't talk about so much that we should talk about. So let's talk here every week. Let's talk about how we can help to heal our children and how we can help to heal ourselves and potentially how we can help other children protect themselves and how we can stop this cycle. Let's talk about laws that were passed or need to be passed. Let's talk about what to expect from the legal system and how to navigate it and what needs to change and how we can do that as well. And let's do our best to bring this out into the open and shine a light on it so we can hopefully someday soon drastically reduce the amount of people that this is happening to and the amount of people that this is impacted by. I have so many topics that I want to talk with you about, but I also recognize that the show isn't just about me. It's about all of you as well. So I would like you to please take a moment and reach out to me and let me know what you'd like to hear about. If you liked what you heard today, let me know that as well. You can fill out the contact sheet on our website. And again, that's www.throughtheundertoad.com. You can also email me at throughtheundertow at gmail.com. And if you feel so inclined, take a moment to click on the link on our site and buy me a cup of coffee. Any and all tips or donations are always greatly appreciated. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Until next time, don't be afraid to speak your story, to share your truth. And when it becomes difficult and overwhelming, remember to take a moment to breathe and that you only have to get through one moment at a time. And remember, we're here to help you get through the undertone.